welcome to episode 100 of the Half Point for Podcast 100. We have officially hit triple digits. What a milestone day for the Half Point for Podcast. I am your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and producer, Johnny Pham. I mean, guys, I, I can't think of, uh, of a better way to celebrate turning 100 than some fantastic conference championship games on deck. We've got some fun fantasy topics that we'll briefly talk about as well, too. But I wanted to take a look back before we looked forward. Dalton, I'll start with you. Just any any like big prevailing thoughts or takeaways or anything from the divisional round last week? I mean, th- there was a, a lot that happened that I think could have some, some big picture implications. Mahomes good. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That's my takeaway. Um, I mean, Mahomes had a higher EPA than every other quarterback on one leg. So what he did is pretty incredible. Um, the Bills are in complete and utter disarray. Mm-hmm. I know we joke about chaos Josh Allen, but it seems like it's just bad Josh Allen. Like, good Josh Allen seems to have gone somewhere else, and he is not coming back anytime soon when you look at that. Uh, and we get a fourth Bills-Chiefs matchup. And hopefully it's a Bengals Chiefs. Bengals Chiefs, sorry. Uh, Johnny, how about you? I think a takeaway I have is that are the Bills dead? Like, is this kind of like flashbacks of like their 90s Super Bowl run, but not actually making it to the Super Bowl? And it feels like they're, the team is in disarray. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they know what they're going to do. Uh, another takeaway is that. I was very wrong about the Bengals. My preseason pick yeah. was for them to not make the playoffs, and now they're one game away from the Super Bowl, so that that's another takeaway I had. Yeah, well, and I obviously, we all bet the Bengals plus five. I think that we all felt really good about that, and I'm sure, I don't know, Dalton, if you placed any actual money bets. I know Johnny and I did, and I'm sure we both actually put real money on, on Bengals plus five. I know we all felt good about that one. I was the only one that took Bengals money line, but... I did not. I did not in any world see a twenty. Was it twenty-seven to ten? Was that the final? I don't, but just an absolute shellacking. I mean, they were up multiple possess. They were up fourteen to zero, like in the blink of an eye. Went up and down the field twice. And to answer your question, Johnny, I don't think the Bengals are dead or the Bengals. I now Dalton's got me mixed up with Bengals. <laughs> Bengals not dead. Bengals very much alive. I, I don't I don't think the Bills are like dead like this era is is done because they still have Josh Allen and that window's going to stay open as long as he's there with, you know, competency around him. But I think we're about to see if they're able to pivot as effectively as the Chiefs were this offseason. You know, get younger, get cheaper and still stay good that that's going to be the bills challenge. And it's not, it's not easy that they have more money tied up in older expensive players that are going to be back next year still than the chiefs did heading into this season, but they have their own decisions. Like, like Jordan Poyer, he's a guy kind of their Tyron Matthew where it's like the injuries piled up more for him than Matthew, but the play has kind of dropped off a little bit too. And as tough as it may be, he may need to walk and like the chiefs post Tyree Kill, like the the Bills desperately need to bring in another receiver or two. I, I think I, I think we clearly saw what has kind of been true all season, and what I talked about with Cape Davis a little bit last week. It's like 
you can focus your entire defense on Stephon Diggs and make those other guys, those other pass catchers beat you. And, and they just couldn't do it. And then I do want to at least mention that that Cowboys Niners game, the, the Eagles Giants game, not really worthy of, of much discussion. The Eagles absolutely pummeled them, looked at, as good as they looked all season in, in that game. But kind of the same old story with, with the Cowboys. I mean, talented roster, just execution stuff, turnovers, whatever the case may be. Uh, the Cowboys just fall short. And I think my question for the Cowboys is kind of like the Bills. It's like they've got clear upgrades they need to make, but they have, they're already over the cap heading into next season right now. So they, they've got upgrades they need to make. They're another team that, that needs more receivers. And I, I don't know outside of a draft pick how they're going to do that. And unlike the Bills, I, you know, I think we all think McDermott is a good coach. I don't think they have the right head coach there that's going to take this team to the next level either. And I'm not like on team trade Dak. Like I, I think you need to keep Dak. I think that like you've got talented guys, but I think if you're going to keep Dak, like I would go spend a pick to bring in Sean Payton if if I were the Cowboys because I don't have the faith in Jerry Jones going out and picking a good coach otherwise. I think that's their only route that – I feel good about them having a good coach next year. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. Well, I don't think they're going to do that, which is frustrating. Um, I I mean, for the Dallas Cowboys, I think it's clear that Dak needs a good supporting cast to be a better quarterback, which I don't mm-hmm. think is an indictment on Dak. He's still probably a top 10 quarterback you want on your team in the league. Yeah. Um, when you look, I at, saw somebody call him Kirk Cousins with good PR though, and that that just killed me because that it, he's a little bit better than Kirk, but that there's also some some truth to that. Well, every quarterback not in the top five is Kirk Cousins plus something. <laughs> it seems <laughs> lately, um, Trevor Lawrence is Kirk Cousins but young. Uh, yeah, but I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. I think the Cowboys. I I, I mean, I, I don't think they're just built to be the team that we want them to be. I think the Giants probably have a better shot at making a return this deep into the playoffs than the Cowboys do. They have more capital. They have a better ability to move around and add players they need. The Cowboys are really locked into cap, and then you have Zeke walking, uh, likely, and then you have to re-sign Tony Pollard. Their defense is their best strong suit, and then you have an offensive line that is getting older by the year, which is worrisome. And then Dak's going to be 30, which – it's kind of weird to think about. Yeah, I was listening to the athletic football show, and one of them said, you know, talking about Dak throwing picks, like, you know, just saying, like, we're, we're not going to fix this guy. Like, this is what he is at this point. He, he's 29. I was like, Dak is 29? Like, that <laughs> That just doesn't that doesn't seem right, number one, because it doesn't feel like he's been in the league that long. And number two, yeah, he he makes mistakes that you wouldn't think are, are typical of, of a quarterback uh, of his age. But that that's just kind of – Kind of what he's going to be. But, yeah, very interested. And I will say last thing on the Cowboys, I'll feel a lot better about them next season if Dan Quinn is still their defensive coordinator. If he's somebody else's head coach, then I will have questions because, you know, one of our biggest things with the Cowboys, why they were such a trendy pick by us and by others to either not make the playoffs or just take a step back in general was because the year before their defense – just turn people over like crazy. And that's how they were a great defense. Well, they didn't do that as much this year, but they were still 
a great defense despite having secondary questions. I think a lot of that is Dan Quinn, and he's just yep. a defensive genius. And yep. and we'll, we'll we'll see if he's not there, there next year. What that side of the ball looks like. They have talent, obviously, but it may not be may not be quite as good as it has been these last two. Yeah, and I mean, then from the very top, you have Jerry Jones still calling a lot of the shots. Mm-hmm. It just seems problematic from from the get go. He gives. It's just weird. Like the majority of GMs do not give press reports at the end of a game, and Jerry Jones comes down and talks to reporters and says things. <laughs> the, like, the the weirdest part about Jerry Jones is he came down and talked to his kicker on the field before the game. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. See, if you're the Cowboys, would you want to hire Dan Quinn as the head coach just so he doesn't walk? Because I saw that on Twitter. It's like he's going to be interviewing a lot. Like, are you willing to have him leave and walk and just see what that defense is going to turn into? Or would you rather just hire Sean Payton? Well, I believe McCarthy already committed, was already committed to by Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones said we're not firing Mike McCarthy (sighs) for what it's worth. Just lovely. Yeah, to – to play Johnny's what if though, I mean, I still think I'd rather just hire Sean Payton and then figure it out because I know Quinn had success in Atlanta, but I also, who knows, maybe a second chance he'll, he'll be better. But I, I think my gut tells me that Quinn is a great defensive coordinator and a okay head coach. Like I, I, I don't think he's, good to great head coach. Like I think he's a way better coordinator and then that's okay. There's a lot of guys that, 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 that true for offensively and defensively. Like I think that's true of, of Brandon Staley and he is of course still the chargers coach, but I think he's a great defensive coordinator, not a very good head coach. Like I, I would rather just hire the great head coach. You can figure out uh, a good defensive coordinator. I think uh, down the line. Yeah, I agree. Okay, real quick before we jump into our topics, I did just want to give a shout out to Chris Olave. I know the NFL may not see you and appreciate you and value you for how good you were as a rookie this year. I mean, Kenneth Walker, Garrett Wilson, and uh, Brock Purdy, the three finalists for off- for for offensive rookie of the year. I think it's crazy that Chris Olave wasn't one of the finalists. Like, I think. And it's funny. This is such a nerd versus mainstream type of argument, this seems like. Because anybody that looks at any kind of advanced numbers, it's like Olave jumps off the page. At, like, he's the pick for those guys for Offensive Rookie of the Year. But then as we get more of the mainstream, you know, voting for, for the finalists and eventually the winner, obviously, he's, he's not even in that top three. I, I mean, from the Athletic Football Show Rookie wide receiver since 2012, there are 89 of them with more than 300 or 300 or more routes. Chris Lave is fifth in yards per route run. Odell Beckham Jr., Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, and Jamar Chase were the only guys ranked ahead of him in the last decade as rookies in yards per route run. The guy was also second in the NFL in most unrealized air yards. And just like the raw numbers are good, too. I think he's like second in yards per game maybe first in yards per game. He was over a thousand yards. Like I'm not sure what more he needed to do. Like Brock Purdy played six games. Come on guys. Like, come on. (laughs) I mean, unlike you, 
I had Chris Olave in my top 24 to start the season. <laughs> uh, unlike you, I had Chris Olave plus 1100 uh, to win rookie of the year. A ticket to win rookie of the year. I wonder so what I Brock also Brady have financial. Re- I mean, who who knows? If Brock Brody wins, that'd be such a joke. Because, I mean, that, that'll be like QB wins, like coming to the ultimate head. Like the guy played less than half a season. He never threw for more than 250 yards in a game. Like he was good. He was a lot better than anybody could have expected, but like, come on now. He he's not one of the three best rookies in the NFL because you wouldn't give it to any other position that only played six games, no matter how like Brees Hall, Brees Hall's not even in this conversation, but think of how good he was for five. Probably better than Ken Walker. Brees Hall was you know, better than Kenneth Walker at any point in the year for those five or six games. Brees Hall, just looking position by position, he was probably one of the best five to ten running backs in the NFL. Brock Purdy, not one of the best five to ten quarterbacks in the NFL for his stretch. So I think that tells you all you need to know about, like, I know quarterbacks get the MVP love. Like, this is just offensive rookie of the year, just like offensive, you know, player of the year. Like it, the quarterback doesn't have to be in the conversation. I promise it'll be okay if there's not a quarterback in the top three. No, I agree. It's just one of those Devo awards they give out. Oh, there's a lot of thought put into it. It's frustrating. Frustrating, you know, for Olave just because he had such a good year. And yeah, I'm also frustrated because I could have benefited greatly financially with a Chris Olave plus 1100 win. Neither here nor there. Okay. Before we jump into our conference championship picks, Dalton, I thought it'd be fun if we each brought uh, a couple of of guys to the conversation for fantasy football here. One guy that had a good fantasy season, but we don't believe in going into next year. And another guy who had a bad fantasy season, but we do still believe in heading into next season. I feel like... I took probably the most obvious guy at in each category. So I'm curious if we have overlap. I'll let you go first. Who's the player you believe in despite a bad outing in 2022? Well, I don't even know if I want to call it a bad outing um, because it feels unfair. But the way that his season is not being talked about, I already know that I'm probably going to be ranking him over expectations to start next season. Uh, and it's Chris Godwin. Uh, Chris Godwin finished the season as the wide receiver 20. He kind of limped back from injury. It didn't have any like stellar games that made you think he was good. He still finished as the wide receiver 20 and half points per game. But when he really got back from that injury week eight onwards, Chris Godwin ranked as the wide receiver four in mm-hmm. fantasy football. He was absolutely absurd. He didn't have significant drop-offs in yards per route run. What really happened was that the entire Bucks offense fell off the face of the earth. Uh, large part because I think age might have caught Tom Brady finally, or at least not having great protection around him. And I haven't seen any coaching changes in Tampa Bay, but I expect that they're probably going to at least bring in a new offense. Well, let, well le, le, yeah, Leftwich is gone. I think yeah. Leftwich has already been fired. Um, and I think that's a huge deal. Like their offense was clearly more productive in the two minute drill than it was in any other drill. Chris Godwin uh, also had multiple 15 target games. It's never been an issue with him not being able to earn a target. It's just clearly been an issue that his offense fell behind. And to end last season, he ended it with injury. I think that those two scale marks on his resume just have people underrating him. I still think he's a top 10 talent at the position. And then you have Mike Evans drop off incoming. I mean, the guy's, 
going to be on the wrong side of 30 to end the season. So I think that his his finish at wide receiver 20 is probably where he'll be drafted to start next season. And I think he really deserves to be in that top 12, probably like a third round pick, no later than that in the upcoming draft. Well, you know, one thing that could that could change his value for next season is I I don't think it's impossible that Mike Evans is not on the Bucks yeah. next year. I think I'd have to go look at his contract on Spotrack again, but I'm pretty sure there's a pretty natural out for for the Bucks to you know to save money. Like not much guaranteed money left on his deal this offseason. And you mentioned the age stuff with him. You know, I think Go- Goblin is an interesting pick because like you say, they didn't have a bad year, but he only had one game where he got to 20 points. He he was between like eight to to 16 points most of the season. It it, it wasn't a bad year. It, it's just not probably vintage Chris mm-hmm. Goblin, but also he's coming off the ACL. He should be healthier and better next season. And if Mike Evans isn't there, that'll you know be a volume boost uh, for him for sure. And now obviously the other big unknown is who the quarterback is going to be. I mean, is it going to be Tom Brady? Probably not, but it's not impossible at this point. I would say like, is it going to be, is it Kyle Trask? Is that the kid's name? The, the backup the there? Guy. Like, is it going to be him? Are they going to draft a guy? Are they going to going to sign a guy? Are the Raiders and the Bucks just going to trade quarterbacks? And Derek Carr is, is down in Tampa. Like, I think there's a lot of different, uh, options for who that quarterback could be and that could impact his value. But a- as a player, yeah, I I definitely still believe in in Chris Goblin. So good, we we don't have overlap here because I I took this very literally. Uh, this guy had a nightmare season this year. Uh, not a lot of it was his fault. I would say I would actually venture to say none of it was his fault. Oh, you're doing you're doing Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I mean Deontay Johnson is like he he's like who this category is is made for. And I didn't even like come up with this this idea with Deontay in mind, but as I'm scrolling through players and like through the season end ranks, I'm like, okay, Deontay is the wide receiver 37. Like I ha- I I feel like I have to talk about him. Which by the way, honorable mention, uh Drake London. Drake London is a guy who is right down there with Deontay um, as far as his rank. But I, I believe in him for next year too, assuming that situation improves. But so Deontay Johnson, these are some guys that scored more points per game than than him this year. Deontay was 8.2 points per game. Tyler Boyd, Curtis Samuel, Alan Lazard, Adam Thielen, Josh Palmer, and Donovan Peoples-Jones was the exact same. Deontay now is the proud record holder for most targets without a touchdown at 147 and the most receptions with 86. The previous record for most targets without a touchdown was 109. So he absolutely blew past that. And the previous record for receptions without a touchdown was 75. And that was in 1965. That was quite a long time ago. Uh, a guy named Raymond Barry, who I guess is a Hall of Famer, learned that in, in my research today. Raymond Barry in 1965 had 75 receptions, but no touchdowns. However, the guy actually led the NFL the last two years before that in, in receiving touchdowns. So major fluke for Raymond Barry. Shout out Raymond Barry of the Baltimore, of the Baltimore Colts. Um, if you just look at like yardage totals and specifically at receiver, Ben... 
Skoranek at 376 receiving yards, had no receiving touchdowns. And then Khalif Raymond was just over 600 with no receiving touchdowns. That's it. Those are the only two guys above 375 receiving yards that had no receiving touchdowns. And Deontay was at almost 900. I mean, he at least found the end zone twice on two-point conversions, so we know it's still possible. He, he was targeted multiple times in the end zone, whether it was just misses or he was covered. Or I remember one instance specifically in their last game of the season where he also got tackled like on the two-yard line in that game and was denied touchdown. There was another instance where he was wide open and the ball got bad down the line of scrimmage. And it's like, come on, like this guy is just cursed. He literally cannot – score a touchdown. I mean, he had the ninth most air yards in the NFL at 1651, just behind Amari Cooper and just ahead of, of CD lamb. Like he's all the underlying metrics with him are still there. And this is a guy who's been between five and 11 touchdowns pretty much every year previously. Like I know there are quarterback issues. I know there are offensive coordinator issues. Neither of those are going to be fixed next season. And you have the the George Pickens of it all, where it's like not impossible that Pickens is the top guy there next season. But like, I don't know, almost no matter what, I think it has to get better for Deontay than it was this season. Like his expected points per game was wide receiver 18 in PPR. And he was the wide receiver 45 in PPR instead. Like, I don't, I like, okay, here, here's one. This is from Ian Hart, Ian Hartitz. His the most PPR fantasy points below expectation in 2022. Deontay Johnson was minus 72.6. The next closest receiver was Drake London at minus 33.5, more than double. Double. Chase Claypool was fifth on that list, by the way, which was interesting because like we all want to bury Claypool, like myself included, but maybe some maybe he'll be due for some positive regression one of these days. But yeah, just ugly season for Deontay and just not his fault. Like I know the guy makes mistakes. He's not like one of the best receivers in the NFL, but he's really good. And he knows how to get open. And there's just no way if he has a healthy season next year that he, that he replicates this. There's just no way. Yeah. One of the other part of it is there's going to be a lot of like George Pickens love coming out of this. I think you and me have at least made a little bit of a stance on where we feel about George Pickens, mm-hmm. which he could be great, but we're not sure. Um, and Deontay Johnson is great. He's not an all-star receiver, but he's certainly great. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people are probably going to be looking at fantasy finishes and him and George Pickens are pretty close to each other. If I'm correct. Yeah. George Pickens was 37 and Deontay Johnson was 39 and half points per game. Uh, and I don't think that it is wise to pick George Pickens in front of Deontay Johnson next season, but I think a lot of people are going to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, it just like even with the same quarterback, the same coordinator, even if he just has a Drake London type of season, net you know, minus 33 points below expectation, it still is probably a whole lot better. Like, give him 900 yards and four touchdowns, and I'm sure he finishes as like the wide receiver 25. And we are, and we feel like, okay, he's probably a top 24 receiver in drafts. I don't know, yeah. I don't know what he's going to be in drafts next season. I'd be shocked if you couldn't get him outside the top 30, though. Like, there's a lot of young reasons. Like, he he was a fringe top 20 guy this season coming into the year, had the season he did, and now there's 
guys like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, probably Drake London going to go ahead of him, like Jahan Dotson is a guy, you know, just talking about rookies from this year who could maybe go ahead of him. And then you're going to have one or two rookies out of this upcoming draft who are going to be in that top 30 to top 40 conversation. So I, I think Deontay, like if I were to make an early sleeper list, he he is going to be on that. Yeah, I agree with you. He'll definitely be on that for me as well. Okay, a guy you do not believe in despite a great season this year. Uh, this one kind of felt like cheating because he's likely a free agent. He likely won't be in the same offense. Um, but just based on the conversations that have been had around him two off seasons ago, I'm pretty sure we're going to have to do, deal with it again. And it's Miles Sanders mm. who finishes the RB13. At one point in the season, he was the RB4. Uh, but like Miles Sanders' first eight games were incredible. He was playing very well. He was looking like a good back. He was also getting a ton of touchdowns. And then that just, the fall-off started pretty precipitously. His snap percentage in his second half of the season fell from 68% all the way down to 54%. Uh, his, touch, er, his, er, his fantasy points over expectation also went from a positive to a negative at negative 1.8 points per game. So he was doing a net negative to himself. He just started playing worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's like a lingering injury we didn't know about, uh, but I think the, the bigger likelihood is that he's just not that good. I mean, he's running behind an elite, like probably a top five offensive line in one of the best running offenses and the best offenses in the NFL. Yeah. And he really just wasn't producing at the same level. He was getting a ton of touchdown equity despite having a running quarterback like Jalen Hurts. Yeah, he wasn't getting a ton of targets and checkdowns, but that's really never been his profile and not really what we expected. Outside of the one Doug Peterson year, his rookie year. Yeah, he's he's never been that guy. Yeah, and I just – wherever he ends up, I'm assuming he's going to start the season as the lead back. And as the season goes on, I think that his work's going to get eaten into again. And that's probably going to be one of the ambiguous running rooms I like to target in the offseason that I take whoever is underneath him. I do not think he returns to Philly for what it's worth. Well, and let's even play the game. Like, let's say he does go back to Philly. Like, there's not a huge market out there for him. He's probably – he, he peaked at like uh, an early second round pick when everyone was excited about him a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where is he going in drafts if he goes back to Philly and they don't make any notable running back additions? You know, it's just kind of the same backfield. You have Kenneth Gamewell, maybe another ancillary back outside of Boston Scott instead, but Miles Sanders is still seen as the lead guy. Like, is Sanders going to be drafted as a top 15 running back in that scenario? Yeah. Because he probably is. And, I don't think I want to do it. Like I, I completely agree with you that the finish looks good and he was great for the first half of the season, but I just don't think he's a good enough player to where if the situation isn't ideal, which like he's, you outlined, it is the most ideal situation you could have possibly been in for a running back outside of pass catching essentially that he was in. I, I just don't see him putting up an RB1, the French RB1 type of season, unless this exact situation plays out again next year. But it's just so tough to predict that year to year in the NFL. Like the Eagles could still be good next year, but maybe the offensive line's not as good. Just maybe the the team as a whole takes a, a small step back. Maybe they have some injuries and they're just not 
why does maybe their all pro center who's almost 38 years old retires <laughs> it you know not not impossible so yeah i i just think it's tough to predict that year over year so even if he goes to philly i'm not gonna be in on sanders you know surprise surprise to, to anybody who's listening and yeah if if he leaves like who knows it, the the running back landscape is just such an unknown this offseason because there are a lot of good free agents but the, also this draft cat class is very deep with running backs and there's going to be a lot of good young running backs come in this league that change the way we think about these backfields so it's just it's tough to think about those kind of friend like f- good you know average to good players what their value is going to be next year because all these backfields could potentially look a lot different with the guys who are free agents the guys coming in and that's not even mentioning like dalvin cook cut candidate aaron jones cut candidate like they're leonard not fournette. leonard fournette like not to say those guys are all going to get cut or even one of them's going to get cut but it, it's possible it's possible at least one of those guys gets cut in, in their situation so yeah it's a it's a fascinating scenario to think about my guy i i went running back and i again took the low-hanging fruit in this one like Najee harris no <laughs> i thought we were just gonna beat up the steelers on this no. podcast. um as much as i love jamal williams the human like this is the outlier of all outlier seasons that there's just there's no repeat repeatability to this season he finishes the rb12 if you look at weeks one through 18 he was the rb8 he had 1,066 rushing yards. The dude had 17 rushing touchdowns this season, which obviously is a career high. Not only is it a career high, he had 13 rushing touchdowns for his career entering this season. I don't see the problem. <laughs> like, like, I love Jamal Williams. I love the story. I love the personality. I love everything about it. If he goes back to Detroit, he's going to be a very useful player for their team. He'll even be useful for fantasy. I'm just afraid what we're going to do with him. If he goes back to Detroit is yeah, he had 17 touchdowns, a thousand yards last year. It's not going to be that good, but it's not going to be that much worse either. Like six round pick, like lock him in in my flex. And I, I just, I don't want to do that. He's a good power runner. He can definitely be your short yardage guy. He's good at what he does, but let's just look at the type of season he had carries inside the 20 he's number one the nfl by eight carries touchdowns inside the 20 he's number one the nfl by four inside the 10 he's number one in attempts touchdowns inside the 10 also number one by four touchdowns inside the five 28 rushes number one not only is that number one the league dalton that is number one all time since football reference started tracking red zone rushing numbers and they've been doing that since 1994 think about all the good running backs all the workhorse running backs that have come through this league since 1994 none of them got 28 rushes inside the five and the only the closest guy i looked back through all 20 you know 20 whatever years 28 years 29 years uh I believe it was Jonathan Taylor last year at 26. Like it is, it is unprecedented what this dude did inside the five. And what it reminds me of is the 2016 LeGarrette Blount season where he goes for almost 1200 rushing yards. He had 18 touchdowns that year, which 
his final two years combined were about that same total rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns before he was out of the league. Like, I think we're just in major danger of taking a useful fantasy player that you want as a bench running back who can start in a pinch and making him a guy you need to start on your team because of draft position. And I just don't, even if we get no changes in that running back room and it's Williams and Swift back there again, it just is almost, it, it's literally never been done the volume and that this guy had inside the five yard line. I don't want to count on that next season. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. He's a free agent and a very loaded free agent class, which mm-hmm. makes this more complicated. Uh, I'm sure you've listened to Matt Waldman talk about it too, but it feels like Davian Harris uh, almost makes too much sense for what Detroit wants. Uh, and I could see Jamal Williams going somewhere else in, in whatever case. Probably shouldn't be drafted in the top six rounds for any draft. It will be interesting to see how this running back room plays out. I think they've made a pretty solid statement on their feelings with DeAndre Swift, which is he's a good change of pace back, but he's never going to be a workhorse. And we Mm -hmm. shouldn't expect that because he makes some mind boggling decisions, uh, which sometimes can be good and sometimes bad. Uh, But at the same time, I, I don't think if Detroit does go quarterback in this draft or gets a quarterback in free agency, they want to run the ball as much as they did in the red zone. I think they were one of the highest rushing offenses in the red zone. It's a great, offensive line but you just get way more predictable when you do those plays and yeah well and like teams just don't have like you can't predict how many plays inside the five a team is going to have year the year like they had Jamison Williams for almost no time this Mm -hmm. season you would think that there's more potential for for big plays in in this offense next year maybe if your quarterback doesn't underthrow your deep routes Jared Goff. Yeah. Uh, that that yeah. may still be an issue. But he I mean yeah. even even Jared Goff can can hit the deep ball from time to time. He just uh really only had uh, DJ Shark doing that stuff and that's it. He's got a family, he's relocated. I'm starting to add personal details to this. <laughs> oh, he's got a family. <laughs> he's uh, probably gonna relocate, gonna be one of the more coveted guys in this week free agent wide receiver class. Incredibly weak. For what running back is the wide receiver free agent class is one-tenth that. Yep. For what it's worth, uh, another guy I thought about was Curtis Samuel, just because I don't believe – like, he was a top 30 receiver. Jahan Dotson's awesome. Terry McLaurin's awesome. There's almost no shot Curtis Samuel reproduces what he did this season. Next year – and also Carson Wentz won't be throwing him the ball like every every other pass attempt that – When I was looking on who I was going to pick for this, this was a very um, confusing interaction I had. Jarek McKinnon is running back 21. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, well, I don't feel like he'll be running back 21 again. Uh, so I'll probably put him on the list. And then I didn't put him on the list because I was like, well, how low is he going to go? Because I feel like we could have another offseason where Jarek McKinnon is going as RB72. And then I'm going to be like, well, he's probably a screaming value. If yeah. He does half of what he did this year. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, it depends on if he goes back to the Chiefs and yes. what the rest of the Chiefs running back room looks like you know around him and presumably Pacheco maybe it's they just run it back again with the same group maybe they draft a guy like this is a deep class they could draft a guy in the fourth or fifth round who is a legit player and 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 a a starting caliber back I mean Pacheco was a seventh round pick so that's obvious but like this running back draft is a lot deeper than last year so they they could find a guy later in the draft and the other guy that if this were a dynasty list I would have said, but this is redraft. So I think 
as long as the team doesn't add anybody significant, I still like him for next year. But just for dynasty's sake, I can't get there with Tyler Algier. Can't do it. I know he had a thousand yards this year. I just, I don't think he's that good. <laughs> I think that offensive line that Atlanta had was actually Did he really quite. Have a thousand yards. Yeah, yeah, a thousand rushing yards. That offensive line was was good. That he was running behind, like really good. Arthur Smith could really coach a running game too. Like I, he he's he's solid. I just think he's just a guy, and I I just like I if this group looks the same next year, I think it's fine. I think you can draft him as a fine value, but just long-term in dynasty, like yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm not in on, on him as like a top 24 type of guy. Yeah. I almost had Christian Kirk on here, but that one seemed like too easy. Um, and then I almost said Brandon Ayuk for a guy that should be drafted higher, but he's already a wide receiver 15. Uh, we'll see what I, team. I mean, I, Ayuk, T Higgins, we talk about this receiver free agent class being so weak. Those are both guys who are going to get paid on teams that have a lot of guys who either are already paid or, or are, will, going to get paid. are going to get paid. So we'll, we'll see uh, for those guys, but yeah, Ayuk specifically, maybe he's the wide receiver one elsewhere and we feel great about him, or maybe he's back in, in San Fran and we're like, eh, this group of weapons, the whole season, he's probably not going to have a top 15 finish. Unless Debo misses time, George Kittle misses time, Chris McCaffrey misses time. All things that sound very realistic when I say them out <laughs> loud, but you can't you can't predict that before the season, obviously. Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's get into it. Let's bring Johnny back in here for the conference championship game previews. We'll go in uh, chronological order, time of games being played. Sunday, the first game is the NFC, which, by the way, this is the first conference championship weekend since 1998 that both lines are under three points. Like, we we are potentially in for a really, really fun weekend here and a really difficult weekend to gamble, as I'm sure we'll we'll discuss as as we go here. Uh, 49ers at Eagles. Johnny, you, you had something you wanted to say, it seemed like. No, I was going to say, I'm glad you pulled that stat up because I was going to say, like, when was the last time both of – both championship games are like this low of a spread because I feel mm-hmm. like it's usually like at least one one of the conference games are like lopsided, but it should be a fun weekend. Yep, yep. This was uh, from Action Network. Yep, both conference championship games have not closed under a three point spread since 1998. Right now, the Eagles are currently minus two and a half. Maybe that bumps up to three, and you know we we technically get like a push on closing under three, but. Right now, it's Eagles minus two and a half. Obviously, they're the one seed. They're at home. Johnny, I'll start with you since you've been sitting out uh, the fantasy conversation. What are you looking for in this game, and who do you like? Yeah, I'm I'm going Eagles um, straight up and against the spread, minus two and a half. Jalen Hurts really looked impressive in offensive line. The whole entire game, the Eagles just looked look sharp, and mm. – I mean, Jason Kelsey was literally throwing guys with one <laughs> hand that like to the ground, like they they were yeah. manhandling the Giants. Exactly, and then I think kind of going into the game, I thought it was going to be more of a closer game, and I didn't oh yeah, think the Eagles were going to completely blow them out by halftime. But I I think this might just be the game where Brock Purdy just slips up more than he usually is, and 
Shanahan just can't get the running game going because the Eagles' defense is pretty good, but I'm I'm rocking with the Eagles here. Dalton? Well, I did have a Kansas City 49ers Super Bowl. <laughs> We're both doing the same thing, aren't we? Are you changing your pick? Yeah. I'm changing my pick, too. I, I'm, I've, go, I'm going with the Eagles. I've seen enough of the Niners in this play. Like, not not to discredit their performance against the Cowboys, but if the Cowboys have Dak playing at an average level for that game, they probably win it. And then if Dalton Schultz doesn't do what he did for two back-to-back catches on that They, they at drive, least have a Hail Mary from midfield. Yeah, yeah, they at least have a Hail Mary. <laughs> so, it, like, I have not seen anything from them in this playoffs that is, okay, like, very convincing. Brock Purdy had a four-touchdown outing against a very bad team in week one. Congratulations. And going from there, the Eagles – like destroyed the Giants. I mean, they absolutely took it to the house and the Giants we know are a well-coached and good team with what they did to the Minnesota Vikings. So I, I just think the Eagles are more put together. It's clear to me too, that Jalen Hurts is healthy. Like at yeah, no point. That, the, that That's my biggest thing is when we were making our Super Bowl predictions before we hadn't seen Hurts play outside of the week 18 game where he didn't run the ball at all. So it's like we, we just – I just didn't know how healthy he was. But nine carries, 34 yards. He didn't – he threw for 154 but, like, didn't have to throw much at all because they were ahead, you know, by two touchdowns, a snap of a finger basically in that game. Yeah. So I I, I just don't – I see the situation where the Niners can come back and win it. It's just they need a lot more to go right than the Eagles do. The Eagles are going to be the hardest defense Brock Purdy's faced mm-hmm. since he started playing quarterback. And Christian McCaffrey already popped up on the injury report. I just don't think that they have enough to get over the edge. I think that this game is going to be a, a game where the Eagles control it. I don't think they're going to run away with it, but I think the Eagles control the game and come out on top. I think it's going to be a close game. And, you know, you, you say this is the best defense that, that Purdy has played, which is true. The the second best being the Cowboys last week, where obviously the score was nineteen to twelve, so it, they didn't put up their their usual numbers they've been putting up with Purdy at quarterback by any means. Like I think the Niners have too many weapons, are too well coached of an offense, and have you know just there's just too much firepower there for them to get completely held down in any game. And I kind of think that's what you saw against Dallas where like eventually you just knew the Niners were going to go score another touchdown or it's like the Cowboys, the Cowboys were just outgunned. They, they have CD lamb and then Tony Pollard, you know, breaks his leg and sprains his ankle in the first, in the first half. So they lose their, their second best offensive weapon early, especially after that happens. It's like the Cowboys just don't have the firepower to threaten this defense. Like the Niners do just outside of quarterback. And I think that was the difference in, well, in the took, game last week. And even then, against a Cowboys defense, it's not as good as the Eagles. It took that wild George Kittle catch. Yeah, was, for, yes. Yeah. I mean, like, and that's something that's not, I think, very repeatable week to week even. Um, and this Eagles defense is better and probably better at pressuring the quarterback and making Brock Purdy's life even worse. Well, like Trayvon Diggs had the tipped interception that, that he dropped in the red zone too. And it – it seems like Purdy has a, has had a couple intercept, interceptable passes that haven't been caught. So maybe the Eagles snag one that catches up with him a little bit. I mean, 
This Eagles team, they're great at rushing the passer. 70 sacks in the NFL, or led the NFL by 15, two off the all-time record uh, for most sacks in a season. Their, their run defense, like I, it's good, but it's if there's a question mark on this defense, that's where it's at. It didn't really matter last week. Like the, the Giants had 20 carries for 118 yards, but they were out of that game so quickly that they couldn't lean on that attack. They couldn't win the game. By, by running the ball because they've got behind so early. Like the Niners are probably going to be able to run the ball. They're probably going to have success. They're, they're going to put Purdy in spots where he can get the ball to their playmakers and make plays. But this will come down to a couple things, I think, for me. You know, number one, both offensive and defensive lines are great for both teams. So wh- whichever team wins those battles will be huge. Um, number two, like – Jalen Hurts versus Brock Purdy. I trust Jalen Hurts a lot more than I trust Brock Purdy to to make plays that that elevate his team, that that elevate the guys against a really good defense. Like we saw the Chiefs keep Bosa off balance by running at him, attacking the edge. Like I think the Eagles can do similar stuff to that. They have, whereas the Cowboys don't have the vertical threats that where they can push it down the field. The Eagles do, and AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, like it can't. Fred Warner is not going to be able to wreck the game over the middle in in all of their zone stuff because the the Eagles can attack vertically very very well. And then I think the last thing is I trust Nick Sirianni a lot more than Kyle Shanahan when it comes to managing a game. I mean, think about the end of that first half where he couldn't decide if he wanted to go try and score a touchdown or run the clock out. He let like, I think it was like 28 seconds run off the clock against the Cowboys at the end of the first half before he called that timeout where the whole world was like, what are you doing, dude? And and that, that isn't just a, that game problem. Like that's a, a Kyle Shanahan problem frequently is those kinds of game managing decisions. And like the fourth down stuff, the Niners are a team kind of like the chiefs where it's like, I, you guys are, such smart offensive coaches you had a great system like cut like all of these things but you're not making the right decisions on fourth down far too often whereas the eagles like every time you watch the eagles it's like yeah they're going for it that's the right call like nick sirianni is just nails when it comes to those kinds of decisions and that can matter when you get to this stage yeah well and clock management's part of what cost the niners the game last year against the rams in the championship game they ended up having to put it together a drive to try to get a field goal when two possessions earlier, they had they had it, and I think they ran a three and out on three straight rush plays, mm-hmm. and it resulted in them not taking any timeouts the following possession, uh, doing a lot of revision on the NFC game last year. But I mean, Kyle Shanahan historically has been a very bad in-game manager. Nick Sirianni has done a lot better. Um, and I don't think the weapons on the offense of either teams really outclass each other too much. Yeah, and we all obviously know, you know, at the end of the day, Dan Quinn was the head coach. But Kyle Shanahan was offensive coordinator when the Falcons uh, were up 28 to three and I think were in field goal range and got sacked out of field goal range. And the rest is history uh, with how that one went. So I just, I trust Nick Sirianni in that game managing, clock managing, like fourth down decisions. I just trust him more than Kyle Shanahan. And I think that matters in this game too. So I, I, we've, we've all got the Eagles straight up. Dalton, I'm assuming you have them. Minus two and a half. It, I, I, I do too. It'd probably be pretty hard to take the Eagles and not have them covered. But yeah, well, and just the last thing on this, uh, it, like it hasn't really come to fruition yet, but it's Brock Purdy playing a road game across the coast 
At, Dalton's like, a big travel guy. Well, man. He, he's watching like, those frequent like, flyer this miles. This is a being rookie quarterback who didn't even play a full season going in a very hostile road game environment. Like, could we see Brock Purdy for interception meltdown and like a little bit of regression to what we're pretty sure he is, uh, which well, is like a good, not great quarterback. Uh, and I think that like that also makes it into like, I would probably, depending on how much it is, be willing to spread you know, put a little bit of money on like Eagles minus nine and a half to see minus if there's a Brock Purdy explosion. Wow. Yeah, just bet it up. I, I'm like, and not like a significant amount, but the odds on it probably, like, I don't think the Eagles get blown out, but I could see the Niners getting blown out because yeah. Purdy just has an awful game. I do agree with that. But I think if you're, if you're talking Purdy awful game, you could probably, Purdy whatever, awful game. what, what, yeah, that's pretty good. Whatever his uh, interceptions prop is, just uh, like it's probably going to be 0. 0.5 because he hasn't thrown many interceptions. I haven't gone and found that, but just uh, just sprinkle a little little something on on over whatever his interception prop is, just to just to have that in your back pocket. Yeah, I, I think we saw last week was really the first time that a team was able to kind of make Purdy have to make plays outside of the system to to elevate the guys, and it. It, it, it was rough. He obviously got the job done, but it wasn't like because of Brock Purdy by any means. So yeah, I, I just have concerns. And if, if Hertz didn't look like Hertz last week, I think I would have stuck, stuck to my Niners pick, but all on the same page with the Eagles next game, Bengals at chiefs. Now, when you're listening to this podcast, who knows what this line will actually be right now. It is Bengals minus one. I believe it opened at Chiefs either minus two and a half or minus three, minus three. And it got bet down to minus one like instantly, like 10, 15 minutes. It it was very quick. And then it got cleared to two and a half yesterday, I believe, on Tuesday. And now we're back to minus one. We've got some positive Mahomes vibes coming out of chiefs press conferences and practices now we just have we have no way of knowing how how real or not that stuff is obviously dalton this game is going to come down first and foremost to the health of mahomes but i'm just curious your your thoughts and if you think the chiefs can finally beat this Bengals team uh sorry not to be a revisionist but i just like i had an inkling that i wanted to check this brock purdy hasn't played a game not on the west coast He's played the Raiders, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals on the road. That's his career on the road. I'm just saying, like, this guy has not traveled at all. It is just – it's a different process. Like, we know every year when teams go down to Miami, they're probably going to lose that game or not cover the spread because it's so hot there. And this is just – I'm just saying, this guy hasn't even gotten somewhere cold this offseason. Uh, sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. That's absurd. No, but he did play at Iowa State, so he definitely knows what yes, likes to play. I'm not saying ball. he doesn't. I'm just saying, like – you know, if you I get your, it, you're just you're worried about the the miles. You're worried about yeah. the frequent flyer miles, and maybe he's not used to cold anymore because he's been in the warm weather. That happens to everybody. I was a California ferry for a little while. Eh, that's fair. Um, Bang, Bengals at Chiefs. Uh, Dalton thoughts? Yeah, to the very very important game. The other one's nowhere near as important. Uh, I obviously am sticking with the home team, and that means they're covering because they are not favorited to win at home. This game is going to be incredibly difficult for me to talk about without starting at the top, (laughs) which is Patrick Mahomes and his ankle. Um, 
I know that today is Wednesday, and all of the reports coming out are he's a full participant. Uh, Which I was not expected, by the no. way. Like the the beat the beat rise around the Chiefs expected, if anything, from to be a limited participant, and then we were going to just keep an eye on him the rest of the week. Yeah. The fact that he was a full participant on Wednesday was a, a positive surprise. And I know we've all watched seventeen videos of him walking. Yes, trying to figure out if there's anything wrong with his gait. But I cannot believe that he's not hurt at all. Like watching him play in that Jacksonville game as a Chiefs fan. And oh, he's it, definitely not going to be a hundred percent. Yeah, but like that was one of the most painful experiences was to watch him like roll out of the pocket or move at all with the ball. Or like the, the I mean the the, 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 the the worst was trying to take a hand, trying to do a handoff from under yeah, the center. He would turn he, around he was, and he was limp to the well, he was like hopping. He was like yeah. literally hopping to get back there. Um so I would be very surprised if if he comes out and is a hundred percent, I'm just not going to buy into that. I think the more important thing, and we've talked about this offline is Michael Hardman's availability in this game. I wouldn't say more important, but I would well, say yeah, that. But I mean, like, sorry, something that, that is <laughs> way more like certifiable, like telling me that Mahomes is a full participant all week. I still don't believe his ankle is going to be a hundred percent. But if for, I have for, Michael, for what, for what it's worth, uh, this nugget on McCole Hardman from Braden Taylor, not Brayden, geez, that's someone I know from high school. Brayden Turner on, on Twitter, obviously a Chiefs and KU guy. He and somebody else, I guess, spoke to Nicole's brother, and they have the impression that he's playing. Well, I hope he does. That's what they said. Um, Sky Moore getting his work doesn't make sense. It isn't working out for Kansas. State. Not on jet sweeps. Just let not him on run, jet sweeps. Let him run routes. He's not a jet sweep guy. Um, okay. I was – Significantly impressed with our special teams in the Jacksonville game, which was a very big concern. <laughs> Your voice is trembling, Carl Jeffries. Are you okay? Uh, well, I'm worried that, that <laughs> this will come back to bite me against the. We, we did give up kick returns. You know, I made the comment. I was like, the one thing they haven't done yet is give up you know kick returns. And and Agnew is a great returner. Now he didn't house one, but he, he almost took, did. He took two into opposing territory. Um, so those are the things I'm watching from the Chiefs' offensive side, uh, defensively. The Burrowhead comments have to be like reaching a level that this defense feels a little upset and might want to. Well, you know they've seen it because Travis Kelsey mentioned it on his podcast with Jason this week, Um, and he said those guys are giving us a lot of bulletin board material, and that that was the end of that segment. And I hope that 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 means the defense comes out and plays on the Bengals side of the ball. I'm not even going to talk about their offense because I don't care. Joe Burrow's mid Um, defensively. I wonder if Joe Burrow to to actually be real for a second here. He's probably the second best quarterback in the NFL at this point. Like I think he, I think I think that's a very give Josh Allen two good receivers. Then talk to me. (laughs) Actually, three. Tyler Boyd would probably be the wide receiver two on the on the Bills. Yeah, probably. Um. Anyways, we're not going to defend Josh Allen here, but mid Burrow uh, is. I'm just interested if the Chiefs will be able to get to them. They used a lot of short passing concepts against the Bills, and I think the Chiefs can defend against those well. Obviously, what cost us in all three of those games, or two, the third one I didn't, uh, was Jamar Chase long touchdowns. Uh, off Defensively, I just wonder if they rush for, if they continue to do that trend against us, or if they try to get at Mahomes because he has a bad ankle, and maybe we get by with some extra plays where they blitz him and he gets off one of his stellar passes. Well, they did. I so mean, good against the blitz. They they did a lot of drop eight in the playoffs last year, obviously. That's been well documented. But when they played him in Cincy, 
I mean, since they blitzed uh, a decent amount in that game, and they actually got to him uh, a couple times off the blitz, but also, you know, Mahomes hit some deep shots in that game too. He hit one to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, another one that I think MVS probably could have caught right before the one he did catch. So, like, maybe they hit some of those. The The concern and the thing I can already see happening is they drop eight and Trey Hendrickson still kicks Orlando Brown's butt and gets a sack, uh, even though they're only rushing three. That's going to happen at least once. And I just hope uh, the ankle stays out of harm's way when that does happen. <laughs> yeah, that would be really good to see. Um, it'll be interesting. It's I don't like that this is the late game. Uh, personally, I wish it was the 2.30 game. And it will be... It's also a cold weather game. Like, not yeah. there's no snow, but I think it's gonna be like seven degrees in Kansas City for that game, which I don't know how that affects what tendencies we see. Arrowhead is a heated field, Johnny. I know you have a lot of discrepancies with heated fields, but <laughs> um, what kind of grass are we talking about, though? It's turf, thank God. Ah. Just kidding. Um, it's definitely not turf. Yeah. Oh, also, do the other oh, Eagles play on grass? That doesn't matter for the Eagles Niners <laughs> games. They both play on grass. Darn darn um yeah but i'm taking the chiefs all the way but i i really don't know what to expect out of the game i also find it hard to believe that a team is going to beat patrick mahomes four times in his career this early on like they are they're the only team with three wins against him i don't see a fourth coming johnny i'm going with chiefs straight up and against the spread i i just think the d-line is going to be the most important part of this game. I, I feel like Mahomes is going to do whatever he's able to do, and all we can do as a defense, Philly Chiefs, is just limit that. And they just need to get pressure on Joe Burrow. So I saw a stat on Twitter. It was um, this season the Bengals are 0-3 when Joe Burrow is sacked five-plus times. This season the Chiefs' defense has six games with five-plus sacks. Bill, like we just sack them, I feel like the Chiefs are going to have a good chance. Did you look at the box score from the first time these two teams played each other? I did not know. Do, do, you, do you want to guess how many times the Chiefs sacked Joe Burrow last time they played, December? <sighs> it's either going to be zero or like eight. Well, it's definitely not eight. That much I can tell you. <laughs> how much is it? One. They sacked him one time. It was Karloftis. Got, got him once. That's it. Okay. And Burrow is, I believe, fifth in... QB sacks taken this year. And even if you just like, he got sacked a lot more early in the season than later yeah. in the season, it feels like, because everything with the Bengals, you have to like look at that week five change where they changed their offense. Like they've been one of the most efficient running games in the league since then. And just obviously as a team, they, they had, what were they, probably two and three through five weeks. And now obviously they're probably one of the Haas teams, if not the Haas team in the NFL. Um, in the last four weeks of the season, Burrow was tied for sixth in, in sacks taken. So that part hasn't really totally changed. But the Chiefs, for whatever reason, they sacked him four times when they played in Cincy last year. But I don't I didn't look at the playoff game from last year, but I sure don't remember them sacking Burrow much in the playoffs. I sure remember Chris Jones having a hold of Joe Burrow one time and letting him get free. Uh, I remember that, but I don't remember him getting a sack. But, yeah, I, I agree with you that it, the defensive line for the Chiefs is going to be huge, as are the linebackers. Like, when these two teams played in December, it wasn't even Joe Mixon. It was Samaj P. Ryan 
who just bludgeoned the Chiefs on the ground. Like that had to have been Bolton and Gay's worst game as a duo. And obviously that that may have been the Chiefs' worst tackling game of the entire season was when these two teams played last time. I don't think I had ever felt worse about the defense and where they were at than I did after that game. Cause it's like, they could not tackle anybody without letting them either break a tackle or pick up like Peter. I would get hit and pick up an extra two, three, four yards every single time. And so obviously that has to be better this time around. Strangely enough, like since that game, the chiefs are all of a sudden tackling great. Like they've been tackling really well for the last like month, month and a half of the season. So that, that'll be a big thing too, I think. Well, one of the things that's crazy, and I had to look this up just to make sure, 80%, this is from Magic Network, 80% of the public's money is on the Bengals to cover. Yeah, and which, on, on, on DraftKings, I think the split right now is like 78% Bengals. Which, this game's already swung the fourth most of any playoff game in playoff history as far as the point spread goes. And, I mean... It just it doesn't feel right for the Chiefs not to be favored at home. In the this is their fifth straight year in a championship game, even with Mahomes. Like if this injury is not as bad as his toe injury, which he keeps saying it's not, we won that AFC championship game. So I just don't know how to evaluate this game. It's very frustrating to figure out. Yeah, and just to kind of cover our bases on some of the stuff that was said today, by the time people listen to this podcast Thursday or Friday, we may have some more insiders, some new quotes or, or whatever, but yeah, you're right. Mahomes said that the worst injury he's had to play through was the turf toe in, in 2020. He said he had to curl his toes to run on his left foot, which Johnny and I both tried today on our own. Not easy. Kind of makes you forget how to walk with your other leg correctly when you curl the toes on on one foot. I'm trying it right now and I can't do it. <laughs> well, you're sitting down, so that's also not. I got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> and uh, he and Reed in the last couple of days have both alluded to the high ankle sprain he suffered against Jacksonville, ironically, in 2019 in the season opener. Reed made it seem like that one was maybe slightly worse. Mahomes made it seem like it was at least on par. Do I believe that? I don't know, because Mahomes was not moving as poorly ever with that high ankle sprain as he did with this one. But he didn't miss any time because of that. He, of course, eventually missed time because his kneecap was in his calf uh, in that Denver game later that season. That was that that was the, the injury that, that sidelined him. But So I don't know. It, it's just so tough to know because we don't know the health of Mahomes. What I worry about is the Bengals are really good, like really, really good. And the Chiefs are probably going to need Mahomes to be really, really good himself. Like, I think he's going to play well. I think he'll put up good numbers. He'll have a good game. But is it enough? Like, is that enough to beat this Bengals team? Or do they need Mahomes to be able to go super Mahomes? And does does he have that with whatever his mobility is? I'm not sure. Has anybody looked at Mahomes' rushing prop? Oh god, I don't even want to know what they've said. That I mean, you can you can go look. That might be a somewhat. I 
I wonder what it is now, and I wonder like how it's changed, how how that number has changed. But Mahomes, he has the highest EPA in the regular season outside of the pocket. He's the best guy outside of the pocket in the NFL. Thankfully, he also has the highest passer rating of anybody in the NFL inside the pocket. So it's not like the Chiefs can't still find stuff to do. I am just very fascinated to see how they're able to play. Can he actually line up under center and run, you know, under center handoffs and all of their play action concepts? Are they going to be able to move him in the pocket at all? Probably when they move him, I saw Ted went on the athletic make this point. Like they may still roll him out, but it'll be rollouts with like tight ends out in front of them to block instead of like a naked bootleg where there's a D end who has a free shot at him. They obviously probably won't be doing that. Or like, will they have to run out of the pistol and, and, and do stuff like that to still give that kind of under center rushing attack dimension that they are going to need. They're going to need Pacheco to be able to play well, I think in this game. They There's no line. I have one. Yeah. The Cowboys. only line I can think that I can see is anytime touchdown score for Mahomes is plus 800 Ooh, <laughs> that's probably a lot higher than it usually is. Yeah, know? it's usually. But like we don't, two we don't QB matches. sneak as is, which hurts that. That's true, but think about how many rushing touchdowns Mahomes has just in the playoffs yeah. the, the last couple of years. Like, I bet sure. in the playoffs, that number is usually a lot, like plus 300. I will you know? say one of the crazier stats about this is since 2010, teams that started as underdogs and became favorites are one in five against the spread. The only team that started their playoff game as an underdog that came out to win was the 2014 Patriots against the Seattle Seahawks. And, I mean, the only reason they won that game was because the Seahawks didn't run the ball with Marshawn Lynch in the red zone. It was so a contributing factor. I would be really uh, – and, I mean, not covering the spread here for the Bengals means they lose. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I just, like, I, like you, I am curious to see what the Chiefs do – on defense like spags is going to blitz he does a lot of blitzes but how does he blitz does he blitz to the point of leaving jamar chase in single coverage he obviously got burned very badly uh the first time they played last year doing that that didn't really happen in the playoffs they they bracketed chase like it wasn't it well, wasn't they got home what's frustrating and this is me just talking as a fan at this point is they got home on Joe Burrow. Like, they got to him in that game in the playoffs last year. They just didn't sack him. Yeah. Um, and you just need them to complete those plays. Like, pressures are fine. And I know Karloftis is great at pressures and not sacks. You just really need some of these guys to get home and finish the job. I'm hoping we do some designed cornerback blitzes with Snead because he's probably our best blitzer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Snead. Snead's our best blitzer. They've been blitzing uh, Reed a lot more lately, and he he's a good blitzer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, if there's ever a time, gets a few. If there's ever a time for Chris Jones to to have a day, like this this needs to be it. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm so torn. I still haven't made a pick, and I actually don't have a pick written down. I was just gonna kind of like the Giants Vikings game. I was just letting the conversation take me there. You got to pick cheese if you don't. Yeah, it feels like you're, <laughs> feels like you're stalling right now. I am definitely stalling. <sighs> I just don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know if they can do it if Mahomes isn't full Mahomes. I just don't know. Someone talk me out of it. 
You're gonna bet. You're gonna pick the Bengals. I'm. I'm very. You're gonna seriously. change both your Super Bowl picks on this pod. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, there have there some things have changed since uh, since we made those picks. Don't be a coward. Look, here's the thing. Out of all three games we've lost to the the Bengals, this is the one we're supposed to lose, which tells me we're gonna win. Here, here's what I will say. For any. Buddy, which I'm sure there are a lot of people because the Bengals 3-0, and Chiefs 0-3, yada, yada. For anyone that just says, like, the Bengals are a terrible matchup for the Chiefs, like, they just own, like, no, like, the Chiefs were up at least a touchdown in all three of those games. They were up double digits in the first two. The first one, like, there was nothing the Chiefs did outside, like, Spags blitzed them out of winning that game. Uh, like sure it was third and 27 or whatever it was and jamar chase picked it up but there was no like fluky thing that that helped the Bengals come back and it was just spags kind of going full spags the second time they play i mean we've never seen mahomes meltdown like that in a game before that or since then and even with all of that if they just score three points let alone six points to end the first half they probably win that game if tyree kill catches the ball in overtime instead of tipping it to an interception. They they may go on to win that game. Mahomes has guys open in the end zone at the end of regulation, like they could have won the game there. And then in uh, in Cincy this year, they're up seven. I think they're up 24-20 with the ball when Kelsey fumbled and the Bengals go down and score. Butker misses the kick to tie the game. And also, you know, teams are banged up throughout the season. But the Chiefs didn't have Joe Tooney in that game. The Chiefs didn't have Kadarius Tony in that game. Well, we were also missing a linebacker, weren't we? He was no, suspended for that game. No, w- Willie and, and Bolton were both there. Oh, Frank okay. Clark was suspended now for that Frank game. Clark. Not sure. Well, we'll see how much that matters. It doesn't matter. Uh, but... All-time sack leader in the playoffs. That's true. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this floating around Twitter. I hadn't seen this previously. He's stalling, Johnny. But – Apparently Kelsey had the flu in that game. I've seen people saying oh, in that, that in that game in Cincy. People are saying that to that. I don't I don't know. Like I didn't see that at the time, but I'm seeing that. Well, you know, Travis had the flu in that game. It's like, oh, well, he did have zero receptions in the first half. So I guess that would kind of explain it. I'm going with the Chiefs. It's only because I have a homer, though. Like, I don't feel good about it. I would not bet this game either way, personally. Like, if I'm just a neutral observer trying to bet, I would like I don't think this will be a blowout either way. So I think if you want to tease it up either way, with the Chiefs already being plus one, that's the more natural. Uh, you know, tease them up to whatever point total you want and parlay with with other stuff. But I just don't buy the Bengals being a bad matchup for this team. I, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for why they lost the other games, but it's just they were three close games. The Chiefs had plays I could have made in all of those games, and they didn't. And that's just how it goes. But it's not like the Bengals have just run them over, beat them by a touchdown every game. Like every game has been a three point game. I think they've, they've all been close. One went to overtime. I, I just, I think the defense is in the best spot it's been in any of these matchups against the Bengals. Which doesn't say a lot. I mean, but they're, they're like riot league average, which is 15th. Yes. Which is all that you need with Patrick Mahomes. Now, can Mahomes be Mahomes? Else you, Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> we will find out, but maybe. In the pocket, Mahomes, like, again, this guy played with turf toe where he couldn't run correctly and put up 38 on the Bills and ran God knows how many miles in that Super Bowl game uh, against Tampa. So 
I just don't want to be on the wrong side of betting against Patrick Mahomes. I'm a Chiefs homer. I'm going Chiefs. Don't feel good about it, but it is what it is. Yeah, I'm glad you came around to picking the Chiefs. It took you 15-ish minutes to mm-hmm. come to that conclusion. And then um, we will, if the Chiefs win in a very strong fashion, we will bring up your reluctance to just say it outright. We will bring to- that up, yeah. To be fair, I nope. almost picked. I almost picked against them and said I'm just going to try and reverse jinx them. Like I, I almost did that too. So I, you know, I, I could I could have been a team player and, and done that as well. I don't think your reverse jinx would have worked. <laughs> All right, if you guys have oh, nothing it- else, oh, go ahead. Last thing. I mean, our our bets can't change this week. We're all going to be tied no matter what where we're at. Yeah, we, we all, all took the exact same lines. We all we all took the same. I mean, there's all there's only two games. Uh, the good news is in the Super Bowl we'll we'll have a bunch of props and like final score. We'll we'll throw some other stuff in the Super Bowl to add details. Have some more variants. Gatorade I, color. Yep, last year, I know John was on that podcast last year. Dalton, Dalton and I did Gatorade color. We were both wrong. Uh, we both had the Rams winning. I think we both thought yellow or maybe I don't remember what the color was. I think but. yellow. I think we thought yellow. I think it was orange. Like yeah, what? Yeah, they ended up being orange. Like, like, come on. <laughs> Come on, like yellow, like you're the Rams. It's one of your colors. Ah, do you remember the yeah. national anthem fiasco? No, I do not. I don't. That, I don't know who. That's sang a little it, too but... degenerate for me. I don't know who's saying it, but like they did a practice the day before. They did a practice the day before, and then someone recorded it outside of the stadium, <laughs> and then posted it on Twitter, and then all the books just removed the line. It was it was insane. It did go over, which everyone bet on, but it was it was degeneracy at its best. Love that. That's going to do it on that national anthem note for episode 100. I mean, what better way to end episode 100 than some national anthem exactly. betting talk? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube. The link, as always, to all of that in the show notes. You know, Give us a follow wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, rate, review, all that stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hoping for a very entertaining championship week, and we'll be back with... I believe, a top 12 for 2023 show next week. But until then, peace.